Hello. Find a Bible and open it up to the book of Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. So today we conclude this series of messages about racial reconciliation. It's our fifth week, which might seem to you like a lot of talk about racial unity. But what we're realizing is that this conversation is about much more than just the differences in the color of skin. It's about learning as humans how to love others without letting prejudice create division. As a church, we believe that in Christ, we can walk together in unity without letting our differences be a barrier between us. Racial unity is about grace, not race. A question I've asked several times in this series is this. In what ways might your ethnic origin make it difficult for you to truly love someone from a different race? What I'm asking is this, is prejudice hidden in your heart? Is it possible that this is an area you must grow? No matter what you say about whether or not you're prejudiced, your actions speak louder. Maybe you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And I'm not sure it's always true, but I do think it's, through, I do think it's true when we're talking about racial issues. So today we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2, about the actions of Peter whose behavior revealed that his heart harbored prejudice against another ethnic group. So in the passage, it gets a little heated because Paul's going to publicly rebuke Peter for his behavior. So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I cannot emphasize enough how tense this is meant to sound. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul publicly rebukes Peter. Peter is a man told by Jesus that he was going to be the first leader of the Christian church. Peter is not just one of the 12 disciples, but he is one of the three closest of the 12 disciples. Yet Peter stood condemned in Paul's words. It's an epic showdown here in Galatians chapter 2 between two spiritual giants. Now, if I could go back in time and talk to Peter, I would want to meet with him the day before this particular incident. And I would ask him this question. Peter, do you have within you any racism or any prejudice that, based on ethnic division? He would say, no way. I feel certain that he would get angry at me for even asking the question. He would say, I have Gentile friends or... I've never done anything to hurt a Gentile person. I'm a Christ follower, he would say. God loves everybody, and so do I. But what we're going to see is that his words are about to be overshadowed by his actual action, which is why Paul rebukes him publicly. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 12. For before certain men came from James... He, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when these men came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So here's what's happening. There's Peter, he's a Jew, he's eating with the Gentiles. The Gentiles are a different ethnic group. Now, a meal in the first century meant unity and friendship. And the fact that Peter is eating with them means that he's not allowing Jewish dietary laws to keep him from uniting with this group that's very different ethnically. He knows that in Christ, they're all equal. There's no longer a dividing line along 
between Gentile and Jew, they are united at this table as Christ's followers. But something happens that leads Paul to rebuke him. Peter pushes away from the table of unity, ignoring that Jesus Christ abolished the barriers that separated these two ethnic groups. So some other Jews come. They're called the circumcision party. They came to where Antioch, it came to Antioch where Peter was eating with the Gentiles. And this circumcision party, these are Jewish people. Uh, and so Peter is eating with the Gentiles, this circumcision party, this ethnic group that is Peter's ethnic origin. They come and they interrupt this meal that Peter, these ongoing meals that Peter's having with the Gentiles. So this gang of Jews shows up and Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing that the Jews would think that his friendship with this other ethnic group whose origin meant that they did not live by Old Testament laws about food and circumcision. Jews were circumcised and had a restricted diet. The Gentiles were not circumcised and could eat almost anything. So Peter is eating a meal with them on the basis of Christ's work to bring Jews and Gentiles together in spite of their ethnic differences. So when Peter walks away from the table, he went from his Christian identity to his ethnic identity, which did not allow him to unite with the Gentiles anymore. He let his race as a Jew prevent him from unity with the Gentiles. This is racism. What's worse is that Peter's Jewish friends, which included Barnabas, drew back and separated themselves also. His racism influenced the way that other people treated uh, those that are of a different race. Peter might not say he's a racist, but his actions revealed that he feared being with this other ethnic group would cause people to view him negatively. By his actions, Peter was denying the truth of the gospel. That is, all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are accepted equally by God on the basis of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. When Peter does it, it's racism. The problem here is that all of us tend to be blind when we're led to see things about ourselves that might be biased towards others. What I mean is that we cannot easily see what's deep within us, especially when seeing that thing reveals something in us must change. We don't like to admit that we need to change, particularly when the needed change is because our behavior negatively affects others. We have a hard time seeing it, and once we see it, admitting it. And I'm saying all this to suggest to you that although you might not easily see how your view of others can influence negative influence you to have negative judgments based on the color of the person's skin, it might in fact be there. And the only way to recognize what we can't easily see is to have someone else help us see how our behavior reveals our prejudice. Actions always speak louder than words when, with regard to race. So at his rebuke, Paul's going to say that in Christ, we're justified before God through faith in Christ. So for a Christian to allow division of a race, it might actually reveal that that person is not actually a believer in the gospel of God. So look in verse 14, and we're going to read Paul's electric response to Peter's behavior. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who's Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul's asking rhetorically. How can you go from identifying yourself as a Christian to then only identifying yourself and separating yourself 
along ethnic lines. And then in verses 15 through 21, he goes into this expanded rebuke and he says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now stay with me, verse 17. If in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying that our identity is in Christ, which will not allow us to separate over ethnic origin. He's reminding Peter of his Christian faith. That, that is being Jewish or any other ethnic group does not justify you before God. Look at verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. If any race deserved preferential treatment, it would be God's chosen people, the Jews. But not even the Jews is what Paul's saying, as God's chosen people could be made righteous without Christ's death on the cross. Therefore, to imply by separating from another ethnic group that you're a righteous uh, and because of the color of your skin and they are unrighteous because of the color of theirs is just wrong. We're all in need of Jesus to be justified before God. Therefore, in Christ, we are unified. It's not because of race. Instead, it's because of grace. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's not about me being Jewish or Gentile or white or black or Latino or Asian or whatever. It is about Jesus. And because of Christ, we do not have to allow our race to become a barrier. Paul rebukes Peter because Peter had allowed his race to become an ethnic barrier. It's racism. And here's the thing, we all need help seeing something about ourselves that we cannot easily see. Like Peter, we need people in our lives who will confront us with behaviors, behaviors that show we've left the table of racial unity. And it's especially true when we cannot easily understand or see things about our behavior that are contrary to our professed faith in Christ. So let me just say some things that I see sometimes that will move you away from the table of racial unity. When you make racist jokes, you're pushing away from the table. And this is true even when the person whose race you're making fun of laughs along with you. When you cut off any suggestion that systemic racism exists, you're pushing away from the table. You might believe it to be true or that it's not as widespread as another person believes, but if you're unwilling to get to the table to listen to the possibility that systemic racism exists, then you will be able to see what God might want to reveal in your heart. If you cut off all conversations about racial unity, if you're annoyed by it, tired by it, you're standing up and walking away from the table. Or if you passively or actively live as if the injustice to one ethnic group is more or less important than the same thing happening to another, you are pushing away from the table of racial unity. If you cannot say black lives matter for fear that it somehow means that you don't think other lives matter, you're pushing away from the table. I get asked quite often, Russell, do you support black lives matter? And here's what I say. 
Without reservation, I believe Black Lives Matter. I do not believe the organization Black Lives Matter represent a biblical, Christ-exalting faith. And I can say Black Lives Matter without fearing someone will think I support the organization. And I can say Black Lives Matter while also saying Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter. But the reason I say Black Lives Matter now is because it, because it puts me at the table with those who feel like they've been kept from the table of racial unity for a long time. I say Black Lives Matter as a way of asking, can I come and sit at your table, my black brother and sister, so that we can talk about how to live racially unified? Now, I am trying to do this. I'm trying to live this out in my own life. I'm trying to see what's not easy for me to see in my own heart. And I do it by developing relationships with other pastors, pastors who are African-American or Asian or Latino or Indian. And over the years, I've developed some great friendships with these men and women, and I've learned a lot about the issue of racism in our city through their eyes. But I'm also trying to have conversations with new people, people that I'm just meeting. And they are always, almost always, awkward conversations at first. But what I'm realizing is that if I will just risk that awkwardness and have a conversation, I never regret it. And I'm learning some things about myself. I'm learning that there is within me prejudice. I cannot easily see it, and I don't want to admit that it's there, but it's there. For instance, I was with this group of black pastors, and we were having a conversation about racial unity, and one of them spoke up and boldly said, I feel like that I, as a black pastor, every time I come into these meetings, have to bend to the will of the white majority. Oh man, it got tense in the room and I did not want to first believe it. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that what he was saying was exactly right. He was feeling like to be heard, he had to become white. He as a minority had to mesh or change or learn the language of the majority. And in ways that are hard for me to admit, I was contributing to the problem and I want to be better. When I initiate a meal with somebody, especially when it's somebody that I'm just meeting for the very first time, someone from a different race, typically here's how I do it. I'll say, hey, can we have lunch together? I want to pick your brain on some things. I want to get to know you a little bit more. It's always a little awkward, but most of the time they accept and we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation and I'll say something like this. My Christian faith compels me to work towards racial unity in our city. Can you help me to understand the issue of racism through your experience? And nearly every time I walk away from those lunches learning something that I did not know prior to that lunch, I never regret it. We must have others or invite others into our life to help us see things about us and our, our prejudice that that we don't even know is there or we don't want to admit is there. We care about the issue of racial unity in our city. And you may be a little tired of the conversation, but what we believe is that the effort towards racial unity as a church is not optional. It's mandatory. Paul is telling Peter, we cannot be divided by uh, along ethnic lines because of what Christ has done on the cross. 
Christ has removed the barriers between ethnic groups. And those of us that are in Christ, we passionately pursue racial unity because we believe it's a mandatory expression of our faith. We will cross ethnic lines and ethnic boundaries to befriend and love and care for people. This is the mandate of the gospel. And this is what we've worked to help you to understand God says in the Bible in the course of the last five weeks of this series. And this is what we'll continue to do as a church. I hope it challenges you because it certainly challenges me. And let's pray on and think about these things.